uh, Daniel chapter 1, and I just want to dovetail here off of what Pastor Kyle just shared. And Daniel chapter 1, and so Sunday mornings I want to talk about Daniel the man and who he was and his walk with God. Sunday nights I want to talk about his vision and his uh, end times prophecies. And you're going to hear some awesome stuff. I got a lot of new, uh, fresh material, and I think it's going to really encourage us. Daniel, and we are living in the last days, right? Amen. Do you feel like we're in the last days? I mean, you're not getting, sometimes people get older and they say, well, back in my day. No, really, we are living in the last days. And Daniel is a great picture of a grace believer living in the last days. And Daniel is an example to us of how to live in the Babylonian system, but walk with God. Okay, Daniel chapter 1. And when we read Daniel chapter 1, I think sometimes it'd be easy to misunderstand this chapter. But let me give you a synopsis of what's happening in Daniel chapter 1. Persia, by the permission of God, invades Israel. Okay? This happens. You know... And we have to understand that God can use corrupt, horrible nations in the present day to execute the wrath of God on nations that are godless. We won't talk about that too much, but many times what we blame... Okay, I'm not going to talk about that, but <laughs> let's talk about Daniel. Daniel is a man about how to walk with God. In Daniel chapter 1, we see that Daniel and his brothers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are their Hebrew names, uh, they are also captured with the, these are very young men, probably late teens, early 20s, if that, very young men. And they were taken into captivity into Persia. And Nebuchadnezzar tells his administration, his staff, go out and find the most good-looking, wise, smart, talented men that you can find among the Hebrews and bring them to me so that they could be trained in my court. And so Daniel and his brothers are brought in. And part of the training process is that their diet would change and their names would change. And this is interesting because the world is always trying to brainwash the identity of God's people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and each one of their names were changed to, and I don't have time to get into it, but into the names of Babylonian gods, names of people, names of gods that were just the opposite of the nature of God, and that's what the world will do, try to do with you. The world has a name for you, and that name is not who you are in Christ, and it's called the old sin nature, and it's called the image of the world. The world looks at you and says, you know, You'd be a lot cooler if you lived this way and you changed your kind of viewpoint on this and changed your values here. And it would be actually kind of cooler if your name was actually different. Instead of, instead of uh, born again Christian, it should be more like, you know, another name, like, uh, you know, New Age philosophist or something or psychological, you know, psychological communicator. And the world is trying to change your name into something different. It presents an image. Suppose you're in your 60s today. The world is presenting to you an image of what a 60-plus-year-old person should look like, the way they should live. 
you know? If you're a teenager today, the world is portraying an image using Hollywood, by the way, to portray to you the way a young teenager should look. You know, even 14-year-olds. You see them on TV, you know, these 14-year-olds that are living crazy lives. This is the image that the Babylonian world system is trying to project on you. But see, Daniel and his brothers refused those names. Although they were called that, they refused them. Another thing that they refused was the food. And the world system has its own... I'm not talking about physical food. Maybe, you know, we could apply that too, but not really. The food, what the world feeds on, is also something that... If, you, if you're a healthy person, you're going to feed on these things. And you're not going to deny your kids this experience because this is what the world feeds kids. And that's wrong also because the Nebuchadnezzar said uh, feeds these, these Hebrews this food. And if you do, then they're going to be healthy and prepared for my court. The guy that was overseeing them um, was very concerned that they did not want to eat the food. They didn't want to eat the king's food. They didn't want to eat the food of the world. They didn't want to eat what was acceptable. They didn't want to accept. They didn't want to feed off of the garbage that they saw on TV or on the internet. Uh, they wanted to feed off of God's hidden manna, which is kind of simple: vegetables and water. That's what they were eating. Kind of simple. God's food seems to be kind of simple and like not you know not super not super not like a taco pizza. Sarah was telling us about taco pizzas this morning. You know, the world has got their taco pizza. I mean, to feed taco pizza is not sin, I think. Uh, I just never heard it before. Sounds like something from Texas or something, taco pizza or Mexico. But if the world is feeding you taco pizza, you know, maybe God's food is just vegetables and water. But what happened in the end through Daniel's walk of sanctification, uh, he actually was more healthier than the rest. And so let's let's turn to... Second um, Timothy chapter two, and I want to look at this. Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty, and I want to say, I want to talk about two things here about the believer and how we live as a grace believer in the last days. And believe it or not, grace and the finished work, the grace message, the gospel of grace, is the most important message that you and I understand today. Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty and verse twenty-one. Paul here is wrapping up his last book to Timothy before he dies, and he's saying some important things. And he's talking to Timothy here about a large house, a big estate, like a huge, beautiful mansion, that inside of a mansion there are many kinds of vessels and vases and cups and pots and different kinds of things that contain things. And it says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 and 21, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some of honor and some of dishonor. You look at your own dishes. We have some nice china in our home, and then we have maybe some some just dishes and plastic stuff that kicks around that we use every day, right? And so it is in a great house. Some of honor and some of dishonor. And verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter... What's the latter here? The vessels of dishonor. Or another, another way to say it is the wood and the hay. I mean the wood and the clay. Okay? If someone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. 
I was thinking about this last night. I was just going for a walk, and sometimes you and I look at ourselves, and we're a little dissatisfied, right? We're like, I wish I could be more godly. I wish I could be more powerful in my ministry. I wish I could have more of an impact on people. I wish I had more wisdom to share with people. You ever find yourself saying that? I wish I could be a better mom. I wish I could be that kind of dad that everybody looks up to, that all my kids adore me. I wish I could be that kind of a dad. And we kind of look at ourselves, or we think, I wish I could be a better person. And we look at ourselves, and we get a little disappointed and a little discouraged, don't we? Ever do that? No? No one's ever done that? Okay, maybe I'm the only one that's in this room that's ever done that. But we're looking in the wrong mirror, aren't we? Do you ever look in a mirror that's just this, you know, that's a kind of old mirror that's kind of like distorted and you're looking a little little heavy in that mirror and in this mirror you're looking a little distorted and and um, and it's the wrong mirror and that can cause us to want to do something and mind the word do to improve ourselves or to or to stop doing something or to give something up. And sometimes the devil will say, you know, if you gave up more stuff, you'd be more spiritual. If you stop doing that, you're going to be more of a spiritual person. If you started doing this, you're going to be more powerful and more effective and more respected. And if, it's always, the devil's always saying do and don't do. I mean, whenever you're in this conversation with yourself about do and don't do, just shut that down and just start talking. Just talk, start fellowship with, fellowshipping with what Jesus has done. Because do and don't do is never God's conversation. It's never a grace conversation. It's not how Daniel lived. Daniel, who was a very powerful man of God in the last days, example of a last days believer, and these really, really critical days of prophecy in the last day, Daniel, and I think it was very important that the man that God is speaking to about the last days has a lot to say about his life in the last days, don't you think? Like, don't you think the messenger has a lot to do with what the message is about? And so Daniel was not giving things up to be a messenger or to be a vessel of honor. He wasn't giving things up like we do at Lent. You know, when Lent comes, people are always saying, what are you giving up for Lent? And they got this thing on their head. You know, it's like, okay, whatever. If you do that, it's fine. But you know, the issue is not giving things up because Jesus gave it all already. And it's never about what you have to give up for God. Daniel, for Daniel, it was all about what he already had, already who he was. Do you, do you hear me? Um, I'm sure you do because the microphone's loud enough. But it's never about what you have to give up for God to be a better, stronger, more powerful, uh, admirable person. It's always about who, what you and I already have. This is where we are, have to start our day. This is where David, Daniel's calling begins in Daniel chapter 1. If you're struggling with something in your personal life, don't think about giving that, I've got to stop doing that. It's never, that's not, because tell a sinner to stop doing something, and there's no way to, you know, it's never going to happen. We have to start with what we already have in Christ and who we are already in Christ. And... What it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, when it, says, when it says, cleansing himself from the latter, he shall be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. What it says here, cleanses himself, 
What it means is, it means that we are separating ourselves from those vessels of dishonor. It has nothing to do about things I've got to give up in my life to be a better vessel. It's about separating, the word there is made up of two words, catharsis and ek catharsis, which means to, to, to step out, to be separate from. What it means is, is that we just separate ourselves like Daniel did from the Babylonian system. We just separate ourselves from vessels that are going to be um, causing us to stumble. We're going to separate ourselves from the world that wants to take something from us and put us into bondage. You know, when we look at sin, we got to look at it like this. Sin steals my liberty. That's what we just have to look at. It. Like if I live in sin or if I do this, I'm going to lose my liberty. I'm just going to lose liberty in Christ. I'm, I'm going to lose my joy. I'm going to lose my peace. I'm going to lose my long suffering. I'm going to lose my temperaments. I'm going to lose different things. I'm not going to lose my salvation, but I'm going to lose that joy. I'm going to just be so miserable. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 talks about Daniel being this vessel, not by the things he gave up, but by the things that he didn't partake in. Why? Because what we have is so much more valuable than what the world could give or ever give us. The world can't give you love, joy, peace. The world can't give that to us. And that is, that is just, these are these containers that the world has that are just vessels unto dishonor. I want to just switch into this topic here in Galatians chapter 1. And I want to just talk about really briefly here about grace. In Galatians chapter 1, we see that the Galatian church, and I've just been reading a great book and um, just about the subject of free grace. And, you know, that's kind of a new term, free grace. And it doesn't mean that it's anything new or different than what's been taught before, but it, it's just, it's a term that some people are using lately because what it does is it defines it, it's grace plus nothing equals righteousness. Faith plus nothing equals righteousness. Faith plus nothing equals right standing with God. I want to talk about free grace for a minute. And it doesn't, it's not a different new doctrine. It's just a term that we've probably defines what we've always been teaching, that it's grace plus nothing that equals, you know, it's not grace plus repentance, and it's not grace plus turning from my sins. It's not grace plus giving up lots of things for God that makes me a vessel for God's preparation. It's just grace. It's just saved by grace through faith. That verse in Ephesians chapter 2 is not saved by grace and some good works. It's saved by grace through faith. And I want to just talk about that for a minute. Galatian church in Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 10. I'm going to read these and I just want to make comments as I'm going. Okay, Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, I marvel. This is Paul writing to his church. He had just planted this church a year ago in 49 AD or around that time. He had just planted that church. A year later, he has this religious mafia, the Judaizers, following him everywhere he goes. And just saying, you know what? Paul said this, but really we've got to keep the law. Paul's like one of these grace extremists. You can't, it's, you know, Paul's saying you got grace is a license to sin. Okay? But what we're saying, the Judaizers are saying, no, of course we've got we to gotta obey the law, right? We can't just throw out the Ten Commandments, can we? And so the Judaizers were twisting what Paul was saying. And so Paul here is a year later, a year or so later, he's like, I'm, in, I'm astounded. I'm astounded that you, my church, my precious people, have departed, says here, turned away so soon from him who called you 
in the grace of Christ. The word turned away, it talks about like a traitor or someone who has just defected to the other side or has become like a capitalist to a communist or vice versa. You've turned away so soon from him. Note those words, from him. If you write in your Bible, underline that. From him. Because grace is always about Jesus Christ. We're not grace worshipers. We're Christ worshipers. Turned away from him. Because what? In Christ, in John chapter 1, in grace, in him is what? Grace and what? Truth, right? In Christ is grace and in truth. Turned away from him, capital H, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Different gospel. That word different is a Greek word there, herios, which means it is not different in the sense that there are many different ways to get to heaven, but it's, it, is different, it is different from the unique gospel of Jesus Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. You ever talk to someone? Hopefully this hasn't happened to you, but have you ever talked to someone and at the end of the conversation, they, it's trouble. You're troubled. You talk to them about spiritual things, and they kind of trouble you by something that they say to you that just leaves you with uneasiness. Like I remember as a kid, someone said to me, this is before I was established in eternal security, they said to me, you know, you, can't, you can lose your salvation despite what people say. You can lose that. And I remember as a kid thinking about that, and I was troubled. I was troubled by it. It was troubling to hear that. And they said to me that when you get to heaven at the judgment seat of Christ, all of your sins will be on a big screen and everybody will see them. So don't sin. I was like, I was going to another denomination at the time. I was, I was just petrified. <laughs> all of my sins. And they said, I said, all of my sins? Well, only those that you didn't confess. What a bondage trip that was. So I was a little kid, I think I was 10 or 11. Isaiah's, Isaiah's older than that. But can you imagine like a kid like Isaiah just being troubled with this information? And I just went, I just went home and I, just, I tried to remember all of my sins and to confess every one of them so none of them would ever be on that big screen in heaven that my parents and friends would ever see those terrible things I did. And I was like, oh, gosh, I was an 11-year-old and I was already struggling with guilt as an 11-year-old. And so that, does that, was that great news? No, that was another gospel that... That, that troubled me. And so, and, and, and Paul says that they pervert. And pervert is a word that just means to go from light to darkness, to worsen something, to go from freedom to bondage. Another gospel, and which is not another, but some who trouble you. In verse 8, and this is what Paul says, but even if we, or an angel from heaven, and notice he doesn't say demon, but angel from heaven. How many religions have started with angels from heaven appearing to people? Can you think of a few religions oh, yeah. that started with an angel appearing to someone? How about Joseph Smith? Joey Smith. Mormonism. You know, on the news the other day, I heard that there were some Mormons that, that, had, that, had, um, that were in, that involved with the Brussels catastrophe there. They were calling them missionaries and yeah, that's not, Mormons are not Christians. They're not even close to Christianity. And we have to, they, they will, if you dig deep into their book of Mormonism, it's like a science fiction book. It's like reading Ray Bradbury or something, you know. It's just unbelievable what they say about women for eternity will be bearing children to populate the planets of the universe. 
And as a matter of fact, there are many women in Mormonism that, that struggle with depression. Can you imagine being, as a woman, being continually pregnant and giving birth to populate the universe? What a great future women have in Mormonism. Okay, I'm not here to criticize Mormons. But, you know, Mormonism, Joe Smith, Joseph Smith, had an angel appear to him and give him another gospel. And I think that Paul had this in mind. How about another religion? How about another religion? Can you think of another religion where the angel appeared to a prophet? How about Muhammad? And prophet, prophet Muhammad said that Gabriel appeared to him and gave him this message, which was not the message of grace. Paul said, even if it was an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. And he says it twice. He said, let him be accursed. You know, Paul is saying that if there's any other life that we live outside of the grace of God, that everything in my life is something that I don't deserve and that God's going to bless me according to me, according to his goodness and not my goodness. Any message other than that is a message that's not blessed. It's cursed. What's cursed? It means it's just going nowhere. It's going into the ground and dead. You know, can you, can you, do you understand what I'm saying? That you and I today, God's plan in your life is not based on how good you can qualify for it and how many things you give up. God's plan in your life to bless you and your family and your business and your health is not based on what we can qualify for, but it's based on the nature of God. Isn't that awesome? That God is so good and he blesses us and that's what causes repentance in my life. Let's just continue here. And then... As he said before, so now I say again in verse 9, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Remember that. Remember that here in this church and all of us, that you and I have all grown up in a message of grace, the finished work. And there are going to be times, if you're a preacher or if you're a leader or if you're ministering to people, that you're going to face the the complications of believing in grace, you're going to face that pressure from people to change the way you believe about that. If maybe somebody fails and you say, you know what, wow, we used to preach grace and then they failed. And I think we've got to change our message a little bit because, you know, we can't just say they're restored by grace. No, that's, that is the way it goes. We are restored in grace. And the devil is going to actually... Uh, project at people and pastors and all of us to change to turn a little change our message a little bit like you know like like add a little bit to the grace and Paul said don't do that don't do that for I in verse 10 for do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men verse 10 is saying that when people pressurize you to change our belief system about the grace of God then we are no longer looking to please God but to please men don't change your doctrine about grace. Let's not change our life philosophy about the grace of God, because it's all grace. The fact that you and I had breath in our lungs this morning was not because I did good yesterday as a Christian or that I witnessed to somebody this morning. No, it's based on God's goodness, and it's based on God's grace. And just to wrap this up, just to wrap this up, it's really interesting because, look at this for a minute. I was reading some history this week. Do you know that from AD, around AD 100, 100 years after Christ rose from the dead, that after 100 AD, we don't really see any more, from the early Christian literature, we don't see literature really resounding the grace message. 
We don't see that. Imagine that it only took 100 years for the devil to attack the, the, the church and to remove the grace message. Because from 100 AD until, and we don't know historically, maybe there were other preachers that we don't know about, grace preachers or grace ministries or move, movements of grace, the grace, grace of God. But from 100 AD to the time of Martin Luther, about 1500, those 1400 years were really dark years. Because we don't see the grace message or people. We see writers like Hermes and Justin Martyr and these guys that had very legalistic messages. They're, they were saying, and you could see from one, about 100 AD, Hermes, a guy by the name of Hermes, said an angel appeared to him in the garb of a shepherd and gave him a very legalistic message, and that's the way the Christian should live, and then the Christian should die a martyr, and then he'll be saved. That is not the message of grace. And so we, can, so we can see that the message of grace is so attacked. And I just want to close with this, that justification and sanctification. You can hear sometimes people say on TV this. You're going to be saved if you turn from your sins and believe on Jesus Christ. Two steps. You're going to be saved if you repent from your sins and you believe on Jesus Christ. How can we ask a sinner to turn from his sin and turn from his ways and to repent? It's getting the cart before the horse. The grace message is that Jesus died while we were yet sinners. <laughs> Jesus didn't wait till we all confessed the prayer of salvation, you know, the sinner's prayer. Okay, I, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I turn from my sins and I repent and I believe on Jesus Christ. That's not how it worked. Jesus died before all of that and rose from the dead. Before you and I even had a history in sin, Jesus died for that. Isn't that amazing? That the sin question is already resolved before we were even born. And so when we believe on Jesus Christ, we are born again and we are saved. And that's justification. Justification is really by faith. How does sanctification come in? This is where we bring it back to Daniel. Daniel was a sanctified man. Daniel was a man that lives in sanctification. I think that's a word that we just sometimes don't know how to, how, to, how to deal with as Christians. We love justification, but sanctification, wow, that's like, whoa, that's hard. You know, that means I've got to give stuff up. No. Sanctification does not mean giving things up. Sanctification is exactly what happened in, John, in, in, in Daniel chapter 1. And listen, to, listen with me here. Daniel 1 Daniel was a sanctified man. Why? Because he focused on what he already had in Jesus Christ and in God. That's why he was able to say no to the Babylonian taco pizzas. Okay? That's why, how he was able to say, say no to the king's food. And, 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 and when he did that, he was doing that because he already had all that he needed. He already had all that he had. He already had everything. And that's sanctification. One writer put it this way. Justification gives us a new nature and a new heart. Right? It's a new birth. How many of you have been born and then, and then because you did something, you're no longer uh, born? Justification means we are born again. We can't unborn ourselves. We cannot unbirth ourselves. We are justified by faith in Christ. And we are born again. That's justification. We are given a new nature and a new heart. Sanctification is, what is sanctification? It's letting that new heart beat strongly. That's what sanctification is. When I let that new heart that God gave me beat strong, 
It's a new heart and a new spirit that God gives us in Ezekiel 22 and Jeremiah chapter 7. A new heart. When we let that new heart of God beat strongly in our heart instead of the heart, the, the, the old sin nature, we let that heart of God beat strong in us by focusing on... When I read the Gospels, when I meet, read... We saw that film here Friday night about the life of Jesus. The new heart of God in me was, was beating strongly. I was looking at the life of Christ and how he suffered and loved and served. When we let that new heart of God beat strongly in us, and then we walk by faith in that new nature. And I'm going to finish right here. Walking in that new nature of Jesus Christ, that new nature of God, that is sanctification, walking by faith. Whenever you and I are walking by faith in our life, then we are walking in sanctification. What does that walking by faith mean? It means like, you know what, I don't feel spiritual today, but you know what, by faith, I know I'm righteous. No matter what my family's telling me, what my work is telling me, what the guys on the job are telling me, I am a spiritual person because I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, I'm walking in faith in that. <laughs> Emotions say, you sinner, Conscience is saying, you sinner, you got to do all this stuff to improve yourself. Faith, faith, sanctification that comes through faith is when I say, you know what? I am saved by faith. I cannot add another inch to my spiritual stature. I am all that I am by the grace of God in 1 Corinthians 15. I can't add anything to it. And by the way, when we live that way, we have such a life of power and a life of, a life of just peace because... It's so amazing because everything that we have in our life, there's no way we could qualify for it. You know, there's no way I could qualify to be anything that I am today. And same with all of us today in this room. And that's really the great, that's really the great life of Daniel. Daniel was a man that had such amazing wisdom and power with God because he understood that it's all a gift of grace in his life and that all that he had was grace and it was given to him by grace. And he didn't, want to, he didn't want to give that up to the, the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And when we walk in that, in that and we are, then we begin to live in sanctification, and we begin to live in power, and then we actually begin to function as a vessel. And when God begins to break the old sin, break the personality, break us, just remember that the treasure that you have inside of you that we focus on that, and then that's Jesus Christ in Colossians 1.27. And when we function in that, it's no longer about what I'm giving up or what I'm trying not to do or what trying what to do. I just, we already have it. And let's focus on that, live in that, and walk by faith in that. And that's when we experience that sanctification. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's close in prayer.